When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I want to talk uh, about the disparity between First World War uh, war economies. And now, if you've listened to this podcast quite a bit, you'll know that in the past I've talked a lot about how uh, the Second World War was largely won in terms of war production. Um, it was uh, won in the factories. Uh, across uh, America and uh, across uh, Britain and the British Empire and of course in the the tank uh, plants of the Soviet Union and the same to a differing degree can be said of the First World War that Allied war production once again was one of the crucial factors in defeating the Kaiser's Germany and of course the intervention of the United States on the side of Great Britain and France was perhaps the most decisive factor in shaping the outcome of the war uh, in terms of war production. Uh, the numbers of troops built up in Europe by 1918 are considerable um, but the amount of uh, fighting of battles engaged in by the American Expeditionary Force um, was perhaps uh, far lesser uh, than the contribution made by uh, American arms manufacturers. I'm reading today from uh, David Stevenson's brilliant book uh, With Our Backs to the Wall, um, the history of the last year of the war, uh, 1918. Obviously, With Our, our Backs to the Wall is a quote from uh, Haig, uh, during the Ludendorff Offensive, essentially saying that it was um, that how how the Allied soldiers had to fight in order for the Allied warfare to survive uh, at all. And David Stevenson points out uh, when discussing uh, America and American war production 
that by 1913, a year before the war began, the GDP of the USA was more than double that of Russia or Germany. Um, Pre-war steel production was greater uh, than France, Germany and Britain combined. Um, And this had been part of a... This kind of phenomena had developed uh, over the previous half century since the, the end of the Civil War. And the northeast of America, what is would now be the kind of the Brexit states, the the American um, uh, Rust Belt, um, had been a, a century ago the epicenter of not just American but really world industry. Um, the uh, railway, iron, steel, chemicals, and engineering plants in the northeast of America were the largest in America. But also it was the biggest aggregation of industry probably at that point ever created. Bismarck is once quoted to have said, though obviously Bismarck is quoted to have been quoted to have said so many things, that the supremely important, and I paraphrase here, the supremely important geopolitical fact of our time is that Americans speak English. And to that really meant in his eyes that the power that America could exert in the world um, would have to be, as far as Germany and other non-English-speaking nations uh, were concerned, treated very carefully because uh, the British, in Bismarck's eyes, prophetically, might one day be able to call on their uh, Atlantic relative uh, to uh, draw them into a conflict for shared Anglo-Saxon values. Um, this is was a, a kind of very kind of Germanocentric way of looking at things. It's worth suggesting, it's worth pointing out here, that from the middle uh, mid years of the First World War onwards, it was speculated on the revolutionary left, but also in kind of quite conservative right wing circles that possibly uh, America and Britain might be the two powers next to come to blows as America sought to eclipse Britain's place that it had held throughout the 19th century as the world's supreme economic power. Living standards in the US were higher, productivity was higher than any other um, fighting state in the First World War, but um, in the First World War um, the Americans didn't and dominate uh, Allied war production in quite the same way as they did in the Second World War. When the uh, American expeditionary force uh, entered the field, initially their weapons came largely from French factories, and the um, steel that went into making those often came from America, and the fuel that went into those French factories um, often came from America too. Um, also the, the fuel to power tanks and other uh, equipment. Um, so America has this uh, curious relationship with war production that definitely uh, solidifies and refines itself in the, in the Second World War. And this meant that in the First World War, the relationship between America and her associate powers across the other side of the the Atlantic was perhaps more even, certainly after 1940, 
with an occupied France and a Britain-facing uh, financial and uh, perhaps even military defeat, America has a far more um, uneven relationship. By 1918, America represented to um, the uh, central powers uh, the uh, the future, uh, and a foreboding future it was. In America, they saw the power that, once fully mobilised, would be able to defeat anybody. By 1941, uh, the, a fully mobilised America represented this on a far grander scale and was able to fight two wars, one in the Pacific, one in Europe, and was able to um, fight a uh, grand uh, an air war on a grand scale. So uh, the the positions America holds in the First World War is uh, demonstrably different, and yet there are kind of similarities of trends uh, emerging in the uh, development of America's world power. America was the uh, lending house to Great Britain, Wall Street banks, and then. Uh, banks um, supported by the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve um, became um, the uh, financiers of the British war effort. But nobody was lending to America. America became a country with a, a grand, a vast economic surplus as a result of the war and also a, a financial surplus but the money in order to lend had to come from somewhere and the the money um, that was originally lent from private banks which is then later underwritten by the US government uh, has eventually to come from American taxpayers and the the cost of the war um, was uh, underwritten um, the Treasury Secretary William Gibbs McAdoo described it as a stupendous burden and each day America spent some 42.8 million dollars the British each day spent 32.6 million dollars France 32.4 million Germany 32.2 and Italy 10.4 million expenditure in 1917 to 18 was less than one that was um, spent in 1941-45. It was still roughly comparable in terms of uh, percentage of GDP to that which was spent in Vietnam between 1964 and 1973, um, and as a proportion of GNP, um, significantly higher. The First World War, therefore, was the most expensive war in US history uh, after the Second World War and the 2003 Iraq War. Now, to give you a scale of the increase in costs uh, borne by America, um, the, uh, Federal Reserve, the Federal Government's um, rate of spending in the year 1917-18 to 18 was uh, just under 14 times higher than it had been in the year 1916 to 17. And uh, this was a, a bigger increase uh, from uh, war, uh, from uh, peacetime to war than uh, had been seen, than was seen later on in the Second World War. Um, the inflation rate um, in uh, America 
because of the kind of the productive capacity of the economy was lower than any other uh, fighting power. And as we can see in Britain, in Italy, in France and in Germany, inflation comes to play uh, between uh, the mid-years of the uh, First World War and the mid-1920s, um, a, a serious disrupting factor in uh, economy and politics. Uh, America experiences some of this, but by no means all. The government proposed funding, uh, the US government says, proposed funding to create an army of million soldiers and uh, $3 billion in loans to uh, Britain and France and other wartime allies. And this was uh, to be raised through uh, taxation. Um, the 1917 War Revenue Act uh, shifted uh, the federal budget uh, away from indirect taxes, and such as um, taxes on consumption and customs and excise duties, towards direct taxes on incomes. Uh, so the this was supposedly a, a more progressive kind of taxation. Uh, taxation on consumption, by and large, affects poorer people more. Federal revenue increased three times in 1918 as a result of the Act. Um, however, until there was uh, money in the bank, until the money had actually been collected, the federal government used 60-day uh, certificates, or bonds. These act essentially as a federal IOU. Uh, there was almost no possibility of the federal government itself going bust or ceasing to exist, and therefore it is um, a, a safe bet to purchase one. It is always going to pay out, as is the case with uh, sovereign government debt of uh, governments which are uh, broadly seen to be uh, able to uh, last the tests of time. The Germans and the British had both financed their wars in this fashion, and so America was modelling itself on a pre-existing practice. The American government hoped that they could uh, manage to get a great deal of interest from the American people in purchasing bonds, yet offer uh, interest rates which were below that which the market could offer. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And I hope that um, patriotism would be the, the way in which people would uh, convince themselves to buy these uh, less than competitive investments. The uh, bonds were called Liberty Bonds, and they uh, created the finance to offer uh, Liberty Loans. And um, McCardew suggested that these were, and I quote, issued in the name of freedom for the purpose of waging war against autocracy. He said in his memoirs, we capitalised the profound impulse called patriotism. It's in these ways, I've always believed, that uh, American uh, notions of freedom and liberty, uh, particularly, uh, these are, and these are particularly 20th century notions of uh, freedom and, and liberty, um, emerged. The idea that uh, America had a special, perhaps divinely appointed role in the world to defend the, the notion of freedom and to challenge... Uh, autocracies or tyrannies or undemocratic uh, societies and to offer a, a blanket of freedom and liberty, an umbrella of freedom and liberty uh, to others. These are uh, notions that uh, last from the First World War all the way to the end of the Cold War. It might be argued that they are considerably in decline now, but um, one of the ways in which these embed in the everyday lives and practices of people, um, and they don't, and they become more than simply just um, esoteric notions, are through the purchasing of bonds or or any other action such as war munitions work, that embeds an individual in the the processes of the state, and it um, politicizes those in a particular way. It gives them a particular ideological justification. If you buy this bond, you are helping to spread the American idea of liberty throughout the world, which is a lot easier uh, than explaining the uh, uh, political realities of the war. Liberty bonds were issued on the 15th of June 1917, and they had an interest rate of 3.5%, which again was below the uh, um, standard market rates. However, uh, there was tax exemption on the income and the bond would uh, mature in 30 years, uh, though it was uh, cashable uh, after 15. Um, $2 billion of stock um, were offered, um, but eventually 3.03 billion were uh, finally taken up by the, the end of the war. And this meant that um, the uh, calculations that McCardew made uh, were um, more than uh, more than opposite. Um, the low interest rate that was offered was no impediment to demand. Um, there was an oversubscription rate of 52%. This meant that um, the targets for financing the American war effort that had been set by Mercado's three bonds had been breached, uh, had been exceeded significantly. So his, his gamble on the, the saleability or saleability of patriotism um, worked worked very well. Another 9 billion in bonds were issued 
by um, October 1918, uh, all of which were oversubscribed, and the total of $14 billion was raised in, in that time period, which was half the American government's uh, war expenditure. So bonds were vitally important ways of uh, raising uh, funds. And this tells us something very interesting. Now, in previous podcasts, I've talked about the complexities of the repayment of war debt and how um, the inability to find a settlement um, for German reparations, Anglo-American repayment of war debt and the uh, repudiation of war debt by uh, the Soviet Union um, after um, 1918 meant that it was became very difficult to create a kind of an established, a, a sort of a stable world order. Well, one of the reasons why the American government was so keen on getting its war debt back as quickly as possible was that it had a, a direct electoral bearing on uh, American politics. Ordinary bondholders were keen to know that their um, investments were being repaid didn't make a great deal of difference one way or another. The, uh, the bond was a, a guarantee from the government to be, be paid out, but it made very bad headlines uh, when there was the possibility of the, the French or the British or anybody else dragging their feet. So the focus in negotiations at uh, the Paris Peace Conference and later on at the Washington Conference was that debts be repaid as quickly as possible. Volunteers uh, across America sold bonds to the public. The second loan um, had 60,000 saleswomen uh, alone, uh, encouraging, uh, encouraging investors to uh, put their savings into war bonds. So it was a mass national effort to raise this finance. However, a large chunk of the uh, investment came from uh, wealthy individuals and from business. Now, if you have a lot of money and you want to uh, protect it, you don't necessarily want to put it into harebrained schemes that will, or uh, volatile stock market conditions that will make you uh, a, a fortune quickly, and you don't need to because you already got one. Bonds are a good thing to, uh, to to buy. These are a guarantee from the government that you will be repaid and repaid more than you originally invested. Um, the percentages aren't huge, but then again, if you're putting in a large sum of money to begin with, what you're chiefly interested in is protecting it. So the bond did represent a, a good, safe investment in a, a very chaotic and uncertain world. It was also a great way to avoid tax, which is something that people were as keen to do 100 years ago as they are now, it would appear. Raising huge amounts of cheap money meant that um, the American government could lend to the British and the French at far cheaper rates than they could have got from anywhere else. And this was uh, a comparative advantage over Germany. Germany and the other central powers had far less access to credit and finance, and they were um, unable to borrow on such favourable terms. And it seems strange that wars are won on things such as interest rates, but in this case, to some extent, it was. 
The Allies uh, combined received $7.1 billion in US Treasury credits. The British and the French were able to borrow in terms in some ways which were more favourable than during the, the period of Lend-Lease in the Second World War. They were, for example, able to borrow without any collateral. They didn't have to offer any overseas territories or bases or anything else um, by way of um, surety on the loan. The only way that uh, Wilson was willing to even consider financing uh, the Allies was if it was on the condition of it being a loan and, and not a gift of money and Congress certainly wouldn't have uh, considered for a moment gifting anything to the British or French. To give you an indication of how little the British had left was that in April 1917, uh, the month that the US joins the war, the British government um, has, the, the Treasury has $219 million in gold and securities left. And this was basically three weeks' worth. Uh, a expenditure of $75 million a week was what the um, war required. Chancellor of the Exchequer, Andrew Bonner Law, um, said that uh, he could only go on financing the country for that period of time, for, for basically for three weeks. Uh, Balfour, Arthur Balfour, Foreign Secretary, went to Washington in May 1917. Um, and he basically explains um, that uh, to the American government that running out of money was a far bigger threat to the British than anything the Germans could throw at them. Um, the fear of running out of money was far more deadly even than U-boats. Running out of money meant that the, the war effort would essentially end. All of this is quite a surprise to McAdoo, um, the uh, American who was most chiefly uh, engaged with uh, Allied um, discussions of, of finances. He had no idea that the British, particularly, and also by extension the French, were in such dire straits, and suddenly realised that America would wind up having to lend to its um, associate powers and allies far more money than had previously been considered. And in uh, sort of an interesting mirror interesting kind of parallels with Roosevelt's short-of-war strategy. McCardu said to Congress that the uh, loans would uh, not only benefit American manufacturers and American farmers, because it was American produce that was very often being purchased, but it would be better to offer uh, loans than to send troops. And he said that there would be a substitute for soldiers that would save the lives of young, uh, the young men of America. Though that said, there was clearly going to be a point at which an American expeditionary force would, would um, travel to Europe. The irony for America is that as all this hot finance flows back into the USA, uh, American uh, productive capital, um, factories and um, mines and uh, steel works and all these things, are uh, overwhelmed by the massive upsurge in orders. And this leads to the, the beginnings of inflation in America. Uh, I did a podcast about, uh, a couple of years ago now on the subject of inflation in the uh, early 1920s and how it had become a global phenomena. And war seems to have been this kind of globalising inflationary force 
touching all sorts and interconnecting all sorts of uh, disparate economies and driving inflation between them. Anyway, I'm going to finish there, but this is definitely something I'm, I'm coming back to in the coming weeks to look at war production and finance uh, for all Allied powers uh, throughout the war, but we'll definitely continue with America for uh, a while to come. Anyway, thanks for listening. I hope you find this useful. Come down to our Explaining History Facebook group. We've got lots and lots of cool stuff happening there at the moment. New content, um, new everything. Um, some cool conversations about history and good books to read. And I'll catch you there, hopefully. Take care, bye-bye, and thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.